Hello there, you patient little daffodils. Uh, welcome to the Strange and Deadly Show, brought to you by Gentleman's Grindhouse Records. Uh, on this show, we discuss films on the Section 3 list related to the video nasties. We pair up our films every fortnight based on a theme. You know this already, but I'm just saying it in case anybody new happens to be listening. You can find out more information about all of our podcasts over at gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com and you can subscribe on iTunes and via any podcatcher you might be using. I personally recommend Pocket Casts and Overcast. We're not uh, affiliated with them in any way, but use them because they're good. Uh, anyway, I'll give you that information again and also tell you how you can get your feedback and comments over to us at the end of the show. Well, here we are. I said we because you know it's not just me. But my name is Christopher Clayton, also known as the Gore, but I have somebody else with me. Who be it? It be Tom Elliott. Tom Elliott, how are you, my darling friend? It's been a while since we've spoken to each other. It has been a while. I think, uh, you know, apologies to our listeners out there. Well, I've got a couple of things to apologise for, to be honest. Have you got to apologise for your face? <laughs> no, but I've got to apologise for my completely bored delivery in the last episode. <laughs> you know what? I listened back to it and I didn't realise at the time how completely bored I sounded. But God, those films. So <laughs> I apologise for that anyway. Yeah, it's difficult to blame you because I think really on the past two, towards the end, you just sounded utterly defeated. And I think it's just because we've had, you know, a sequence of bad movies that have come in. And have been, it's particularly the last two, like you said, uh, what were they again? Zombie something and zombie something else. And they were that's both, them, yeah. yeah, that's them. And they were both pretty boring. And uh, mm. I think the passion left you, Tom. But we're in exploitation territory in this episode. There must be something exciting to talk about. But before we do that, yes, it's been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while since we've been here. Uh, what excuses can we make, Tom, that would uh, please the listeners out there? What can we tell them? truthful or not that would explain why we've not been here mm, i'm trying to think of a good lie but i can't so unfortunately you know people know that we lead busy lives by now and sometimes we just completely clash i don't think we've ever clashed this badly before no. but uh, you know and hopefully we won't again you know what i mean but uh, it just happened yeah i would like to say in case anybody's wondering on the last episode, I talked all about depression. I'm sure there, there are some people who might think, well, he obviously got depressed again and they had to stop doing this show. It wasn't that at all. It was uh, just being busy, really. Tom was busy. I was busy. We tried to get it together. We couldn't. Sometimes it happens that way. Ideally, we would love to be able to do this consistently, and we will. There will be big periods of consistency. You know, Don't forget, from the very beginning up until, ooh, I don't know, I guess about episode nine, we were consistent. Mm. And then mm -hmm. we had a big break for Christmas, which we, you know, we said we were going to have that anyway. And that went a bit longer than we'd planned. And we came back after the, the break due to the problems I had. And it's just been a sequence of things that have happened. But don't worry, this show's not going anywhere. As always, if an episode doesn't turn up for whatever reason, you can always go on our Twitter page, which is twitter.com forward slash strange deadly. No and in there. And we'll, we'll always have an announcement up there if there's a delay of any kind and you can also go on our personal twitter pages i certainly you know tom's quite busy he doesn't tweet that often but i always tweet if there's something going on so you know don't worry folks we love you we're not we're not giving up on you we're not giving up on this show we love doing it so just a sequence of, of really um 
crappy things that have happened all all to do with just life in general and, and work and things like that that have delayed us from doing this but we're here now mm-hmm. uh now tom before we move into telling everybody about what the uh, this week's double bill is uh something very very sad happened recently and i felt that it was you know normally obviously we move straight on to talking about the movies but i think this is a very 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 important thing uh to talk about given that we've lost probably the most iconic horror actor of all time mr christopher lee passed away on the 7th of june at the age of 93 years old i'm getting a little bit shaky talking about it he was a a a huge hero of mine um how did you feel about him and his work? I used to do the Gentleman's Grand House with Matt, and he was the fan of older stuff, and I was the fan of the more grimy Grand House stuff. But even so, you know, I just can't help but have a huge admiration for the man. Mm. I mean, not only the stuff he did in his films, but I love to see him on interviews and stuff. He had a very uh, unique way about him. Sometimes he could... He didn't suffer fools gladly as well, which I always liked, you know. Um, He would always say what he felt. And, um, you know, what can you say? No matter what era of film you're into, there's there's a Christopher Lee film there pretty much. You know, even these days, Star Wars, you know, Lord of the Rings, he's there. So, you know, a, a giant of a man, and I don't think we'll see his like again. I don't think so either. I think the time, the era of sort of repertory horror actors is over. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we had Peter Cushing, we had Christopher Lee. I guess a, a more modern, if you like, even though he's been around for quite a while, is, is Bruce Campbell, mm-hmm. who is somebody who's who made a career out of appearing in horror movies. But really, Christopher Lee was, to me, the last, the last one from that golden age. Uh, now, I've got some information here, just some general facts that most of you probably already know. But uh, he was born in 1922. Um, he died, like I said, on June 7th at the age of 93 years old. He had a very long, sort of rich and full life. He's not somebody who was sort of taken away from us early, if you like. Um, he he had, a, had a very, very long and, and storied career. Um, his first appearance in a Hammer film was in 1957's The Curse of Frankenstein. It was his role in 1958's Dracula, also known as Horror of Dracula in the USA, as the uh, titular count that would truly cement him as one of horror's greatest icons. He and Peter Cushing became one of the most well-known and iconic horror duos of all time. Uh, Lee continued making films through an incredibly long and storied career. One of his most notable recent roles was as the deadly saucer Saruman in Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Lee also made moves into music, coming into my world, releasing um, his own heavy metal albums. He released a heavy metal Christmas album as well. Now it pretty much was just him talking over music, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> but you know, but that big loud booming deep voice, you know, it was it was quite fascinating. Uh, Lee was known for only begrudgingly accepting the success of his role as Dracula. I think a lot of people know this. He came to be quite grumpy about it, wishing not to discuss it during interviews. Um, Quotes from him suggest he was never truly happy that Hammer gave him so few lines and little of Bram Stoker's original dialogue to work with. And I know that I've read quite a few interviews with people who've gone on to interview him who have said that they were very explicitly told by, by Christopher Lee's people, don't mention Dracula. Mm. So that's interesting. Um, he has 278 credits to his name on IMDb. He made well over 250 movies in a career that spanned every film genre you can think of. That's going back to what Tom was saying about how there's a Christopher Lee movie for everybody, no matter what you're into. 
Uh, I think it's it is a, a a terrific loss. I have to say that one perhaps my favourite movie that he was in is The Wicker Man. Mm. Uh, not a Hammer movie. A lot of people seem to think that that it is, or, or they've got mistaken belief that it is, but it isn't. But it is, I think, one of the great. Um, and and <laughs> it's a cult movie. It's a weird movie. Um, just today, I got the Steel Book, of course, because it's me. Tom and I are big fans of Steel Books. <laughs> uh, one of our addictions, I think. I've even got yeah. my Steel Books in little plastic covers. That's right, uh, protecting from all the jizz. And um, <laughs> and uh, so I got the final cut of The Wicker Man today, which I'd never seen before. Um, this is, of course, the original we're talking about here, not the, the Nicolas Cage one where he dresses up in a bear suit and then punches a woman in the face, um, which I recommend seeing only for comedy purposes. But uh, yeah, that's that I think is probably my favourite Christopher Lee movie. Of course, the Dracula and some of the Hammer stuff as well. What about you, Tom? Absolutely, The Wicker Man. It's probably the one of his that I, I've watched the most, maybe apart from the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, p- maybe plucking one of uh, the Hammer ones out there, Rasputin the Mad Monk. I enjoy him in that as well. Mm. He, he gives a wonderfully demented performance in that. Absolutely. I mean, look, we could be here all day talking about it. We could make this episode into a Christopher Lee special if we wanted to, but we're not going to do mm. that. We just felt that it was such a big story in horror. Really, the most famous horror actor in the world has left us. And uh, I was incredibly sad about it. Uh, still am. And I bought, like I said, The Wicker Man. I also bought on Blu-ray Dracula, the horror of Dracula, which I, I don't oh, have yeah. any. Yeah, I don't have any Hammer stuff on Blu-ray. So, um so I, I bought those. Those are those are coming. Well, Wicker Man's here, but Dracula's still on the way. Um, and I just I just wanted to give this tribute. I think we both do just to say that we'll miss him greatly. And ninety three years old, very sad to lose the uh, the wonderful, the iconic, the legend that is Mr. Christopher Lee. Absolutely, a, a nice tribute there, and I, I completely agree. So, Chris, it has been a while. Have uh, have you been watching anything in particular while we've been away? Yeah, a few bits and pieces. I've maybe been gaming mostly. Mm. Um, I will say on the on the gaming front, I've been playing Bloodborne, which is a, a game made by the makers of Dark Souls and Demon Souls, and I finished that and really enjoyed it. I've been playing Dying Light. I'm now working through the Witcher series so that I can play Witcher 3 mm. on the PlayStation 4, so a lot of very long RPGs. Um, in terms of watching things, I finally got a multi-region Blu-ray player, Tom. Nice. I've wanted one for a while. You don't have one yet, do you? But you, I think you're going to get one, aren't you? You know what? I'm, I'm in two minds about it. I mean, there's the stuff that I really like that comes out in America. A lot of, um, is it Synapse or... Or Screen Factory, Synapse, yeah. Yeah, a, a lot, definitely Screen Factory. A lot of their stuff comes out region A, which is very frustrating, you know. But I always kind of think, I don't know, the other part of me just likes to have region B stuff that I know I'm always going to be able to play so I might do one day we'll see yeah I mean it's quite sort of you know quite cheap uh, I ended mm. up getting a player on eBay that was recommended to me by Rob's Lib on Twitter Robert mm. who's actually written a piece of feedback to us it costs 99 pounds and uh, it's a refurbished player but it works beautifully and all you do is just pop a code in and change to what region you want I haven't actually got any discs to test on it yet but it also is region free for the DVDs, uh, DVDs, and I've got a ton of DVDs from years ago, import stuff that I couldn't play because all I'm using is my PlayStation to play stuff on. You can't play 
you know anything that's not a region two or region b release on that so being able to play all that stuff is great and there's also just the fact that there's a lot of martial arts stuff that you can't get in this country that is region a i mean i hate region coding i think it's a it's a it's a terrible thing halloween 2 for example in america they released a version of it uncut uh, one company released it and it was a you know it was a nice print and it had a, a certain extra on it that was a that was a, a, a region free release then halloween 2 was released again from a different company with a better transfer this is locked to region a and it and it has different extras on it so if you wanted sort of the complete halloween 2 you had to get both releases but i can't play one of them so it's things like that that really annoy me luckily having a blu-ray player finally investing in one a multi-region i'm able to now play that of course what did i do tom the first thing i bought was the new version of the beyond from um grindhouse releasing which i know you've had your eye on as well i did i did i kind of saved myself from myself uh because i didn't have a multi-region player because <laughs> i must have like about three or four releases of the of mm. the beyond here anyway but while you're talking about halloween actually uh, that complete box set that mm. was brought out on blu-ray region a you know and yep. i was very frustrated about that i mean some of those movies are crap but i still like to have a nice complete set you know yeah that'd be a good excuse to get a region a player yeah i just think for and it you know it plays regions region a b and c yeah, yeah. Uh, so i think it, it's um i thought it was quite a good investment really a refurbished player 99 pounds if you ever want the name of it or anything tom just let me know i'll send you on the way you can get them on ebay relatively cheap and um mm. It seems to be sort of quick and easy to get it done. And it's just nice to know that I don't have to worry. You know, if I go to America and I find a release I want, I can play anything I want now. Yeah, good. Um, so, yeah, so that that was good. Apart from that, you know, sort of watching a few bits and pieces, the new release of Society on Blu-ray from Arrow Video, which is a gorgeous release. Really mm. beautiful packaging. Arrow's putting out some lovely stuff lately. And, um, yeah, a few other bits and pieces. But, uh, Tom, that's enough from me, okay? I'm fed up of my own voice. <laughs> it's time to tell the people at home uh, or wherever you may be listening to this a lot of you listen at work I don't want to marginalise you in any way uh, Tom why don't you tell people about the double bill we've got on this episode we're moving into sleazy territory here aren't we we certainly are the uh, The theme for this episode is women in captivity it's a, it's a funny old little subgenre and it's got a, a sort of subgenre of its own in a way the women in prison films you know mm. which are quite plentiful and i guess we'll touch on a few of them as we go along but these ones they both fall into the women in captivity subgenre a subgenre does it really exist anymore we'll talk about that as well but we've got two films we've got abducted and hell prison that's right so why don't i get started telling you tom and everybody else listening about a little film called abducted it's also known as schoolgirls in chains i have to tell you guys i'm not best pleased with myself having to type that into google in order to find out information <laughs> about it i get the feeling that the police will be on to me very very soon indeed i may get this done quickly uh schoolgirls in chains released in 1973 directed by don jones and written by the man as well so abducted tells the story of two brothers frank and john barrows who live at home with their mother at the beginning of the film we see frank played by gary kent pulling up near a young woman sue whose car has broken down he offers to take her to a local garage but when she enters the car she's also met with john played by john stoglin frank's childlike adult brother who helps to capture her 
They drive her back to their home and throw her into a basement where two other girls are held captive. Ginger and Stevie have been held captive for a number of weeks and are forced into playing games with John, who sees himself as a child who only wants to play. Sue forms a plan to escape by playing hide and seek with John, running away while he's counting. However, the plan backfires when Frank catches on and he shoots her dead. Back at the house, Frank and John consult with their mother. It transpires that it's the mother who is allowing the boys to kidnap young girls and she grants them permission to secure another one now that Sue is gone. John has been keeping an eye on another girl named Bonnie, a university student who is having an affair with her teacher Robert. While he conspires to take her, the captive Ginger has to play games with John. She seeks to make an escape as well and tries to act affectionately towards Frank. However, he rapes her on the couch. Afterwards, as they talk delicately, we see a flashback to an earlier time in Frank's life when he was happy and engaged to a beautiful woman. But his mother quickly puts a stop to the impending marriage by revealing that he and Frank commit incest together. It seems that in her view, only she is truly good and all other women are evil. Frank and John manage to capture Bonnie late one night and they bring her to the basement. Once again, she's forced to play with John, but hopes she can make an escape when they're out away from the house. Unfortunately for her, Robert, her teacher and lover, becomes greatly concerned for her whereabouts after discovering her missing. He follows up a clue he receives from an old medical badge and discovers that John was formerly kept at a mental hospital. Finding out where the boys are staying, Robert is about to walk into the home of two men who desperately want to keep their secrets hidden. And a twist late in the game will change everything. You want to play? Where's Sue? She ran away. Ran away? Yeah. Want to play? Where'd she go, Johnny? She went to the choo-choo train. Bank broker. I want to play. No, I, I want to play now. Not tonight, Johnny. Go to bed. No, I want to play now. Tell your mommy. What you doing? I'll beat you good. Come on, I want to play now. Come on, I want to play doctor. Why don't you be good, Johnny, and go to bed? No, no, I want to play now. I'll play with you. I don't want to play with you. Come on, you never play any anymore. Come on, Johnny. We could have fun playing together. Okay. Let's play doctor. Okay? How do you play that? Well, it's easy. Uh, I'll be the doctor and you be the patient. And, and, and you pretend like you're sick and, uh, and I'll examine you, okay? No, I want to play doctor. Now you wait here and I'll be right back. So, Tom, it's abducted. Schoolgirls in chains. What did you think of this one, me old boy? Mm -hmm. Well, it was the first time for me. And uh, I've watched it twice now. I watched it a few weeks back, you know, before we first planned to record. Um, and I watched it again today. And funny thing, I... I liked it more second time round, and that's not to say that I didn't like it the first time. 
I really don't know how uh, the feedback and your opinion is going to go on this, but I I won't say it's a great film, but I I liked it. Uh-huh. I think, you know, we talk about films sometimes where they're shit, but we enjoy them. But there's other types of films that are raw, but there's there's a seed of talent there. And I think, for me, this is one of those films. And we see it in the way it's shot sometimes. And some of the performances at times, they're a bit shaky, but other times I, I think there's stuff in there which I was really quite impressed by. It, it was quite slow as well, but I liked it. I liked the aesthetic of it. I liked the griminess of it, the location, and the characters. The characters interested me. The brothers interested me. You know, the girls were brave. There was only the girl on the bed who was dying who uh, who didn't really try and better her situation. So there's a lot to like in this one for me. It was let down by quite a predictable twist, which we will talk about. And, you know, it's something that I saw coming quite early on, but then I thought to myself, no, it can't be that. Mm-hmm. But then it was. Uh, and I, that was a bit of a letdown, but it didn't kill it for me. So that's my overall general thoughts on it. How about you? I mostly agree with you. I think mm-hmm. there's... There's a seed of good talent in here. I think there's some good ideas in it. I don't think it's it's a a quote unquote a good film, but I think that it that it's got something to it. Um, it reminds you of other things. I think that are better than it. I'll mm. say that much. But I think that I think that it's a very low budget movie. I think it was made for about fifty grand. So, nice. you know, you're not working with a, with a high budget here. It was 1973. That was a low budget even then, you know, a very low budget. I think that it that it's very, very, very rough in a lot of ways. You, you said the word raw, and I think that's a, a very good example of it. But I think it's also, it's got that classic grindhouse look to it. Yeah. I think, I mean, the copy we watched of it is pretty, pretty hideous looking copy, isn't it? It's very difficult to find the, find a good copy of the movie to begin with. Uh, but this is one of those movies that I know it sounds strange to say it this way. I kind of couldn't imagine it looking cleaned up. You know, no. I think it would would take away from it in a way if it looked clean and shiny. And I say that being a fan of, of what they've done with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is one of the most immediate comparisons you can make to it. Uh, I think they've done a beautiful job with that still very much looking like that sort of movie, but it's cleaned up very well. But I just couldn't imagine it being that way here. I, I so getting into the actual story of the film, I, I, I think the brothers. Now, now let's sort of discuss this. Do you think the brothers are sympathetic characters? To a degree, you know, they shouldn't have been there. They should have probably been in an, in an institution somewhere, getting mm. the care they deserve. But it's, you know, that's the big question with anyone who commits such heinous things, isn't it? You know, are they bad people? Are they uh, a result of bad upbringing you know what i mean these it's quite a big question really and we could debate that probably all day in a sense they are i mean frank the older brother who seemed to have some remorse for his actions you Mm. know at times he must have had quite a lot of remorse for his actions from the way it went but um i found them very interesting you know uh john the more childlike one is 
not really cognizant of what he's doing. He's just a kid, but with this sexual edge to him, you know. Yeah. He's he's in a man's body now, so his games have this sexual edge to them. Whereas Frank seems to be a bit more mature, but just ruined by his childhood, the, the this treatment by his mother. So I did find them really interesting, sympathetic to a degree, but that sympathy only goes so far. Absolutely. I was conflicted because I think they are very much the product of their upbringing. Mm. And we see in the flashback scene that we that I mentioned while I was uh, reading the uh, the synopsis there, we, we see there that really all of this is because of their mother. You know, I mean, as far as, as, as it goes with John, his behavioural issues perhaps were, you know, have been there his entire life, but they certainly were not made any better by the way his mother acted, where she would push women away, she would prevent Frank in particular from having any kind of relationship because she wanted these boys all to herself. And obviously mm. there's some, I would imagine, some sexual molestation there, sexual abuse, incest. All of these things are happening that are going to mess with your head. And so we see that all of that has come from childhood. So, there, so that, that's one side of it. The other side of it, of course, which is the side that I probably feel more strongly about, is that at the end of the day, these are still very, very bad guys because they're kidnapping these young girls, keeping them captive with no real hope of escaping. So, it, so it, you know, that's where the conflict comes in, is that I, I feel sorry for these guys as far as their childhood goes and their upbringing, the men that they've been moulded to become. Yeah. It's not really as a result of their own actions, it's their mother. Now, they're still doing horrible things and it's a you know, heinous acts and, and kidnapping women and and you know, they look sort of virtually starved and they have to like you were saying, John is um played by John Stoglin in this movie, is is a a very childlike man who doesn't really understand what he's doing, but like you say, because he's a man there's a sexual edge to it. I'm not sure if he even realises there's a sexual edge to it. Hmm. I have to say, I think that I think that it, it sort of it works. I think it's been done better than this in other movies, and we'll we'll probably you know discuss those. I mean, I, I suppose I suppose it's worth saying because all of this stuff you're thinking, okay, well, a bit of a you know Psycho, sons, mother. What's the film that you think of immediately? You think of Psycho, of course, yeah. And I think it's fair to say that Psycho has been a great influence on this. Mm, definitely, definitely. But, you know, saying that, you're saying it's been done better elsewhere, and you're right, but, it, you know, this uh, a character with learning difficulties who's sort of pulled into a sexual uh, sort of situation, it's been done worse as well. I always think mm. of I Spit on Your Grave. I can't remember the character's name, um, but there was that that guy who hung around with the, the villains and... Yeah ended up being part of the rape and I just thought he was played terribly in that movie um, and I think John is a, a much better character here than, than that guy was, was he called Michael or something I can't I don't, remember. don't remember the name but I know exactly who, who you're referring to I mean I think mm. that, that if we're comparing because obviously we've got to look at some of the things that happen in this movie that might be shocking to some people of course this is exploitation so you're going to see you know, some nudity in here uh, you're going to see there's there's a rape scene hmm. now <laughs> compared to the film that we're going to talk about after this it you know it's relatively tame and and also compared to i spit on your grave which i think is i don't think is a very good movie but i think it has one very big shocking scene in it which was that rape which goes on for a very long time hmm. uh this i i think is is i think some it, it's handled quite well it just is I think maybe a lack of money, maybe 
a bit of a lack of talent in some of the actors um, or just not enough you know I mean these are very early roles for a lot of these people I mean the guy who plays uh, Frank the older brother Gary Kent went on to have a quite a long career and, and started in a number of things and probably improved as he went along but I think that, that everybody here is just a little bit raw and, and not really polished enough to quite give it what it needs but it but yeah, like you say, there's worse than this. And I think that the, the character of John is, is I think he's played quite well by John Stoglin, actually. I, I bought him and believed him. You know, there are a couple of, there are clunky bits in here. If every actor says something, it's it's not delivered very well. But but I think he, he did quite a good job. I also think that one of the girls here, the captive, Ginger, is played by Suzanne Lund, I believe is her name. Yeah. As far as I'm aware, never went on to do anything else. I actually thought was quite, decent in the role i thought was quite strong uh, i thought could well have you know be become the main character but she's sort of tossed off to the side after the you know the big event she's raped and then frank tells her about his childhood um or the you know losing his fiance because of his mother and then she's sort of tossed into the basement again and then we move on to somebody else who's supposed to be a main character i thought that of all the girls in the movie she was the one that sort of stood out to me as as you know being quite a decent performer she was. She was good. She uh, portrayed that fear very well and sort of suppressing that fear to try and gain the boy's trust. And uh, the, rape, the rape scene where she is raped by Frank, it, it's not the most distressing I've ever seen, but it's never pleasant, you no. know, to watch that stuff. Um, but she, she, best female in the film, I think. But I, I think we need to kind of go back uh, to the beginning, mm -hmm. really. You know, the setup, which is maybe the the strongest stretch of the film for me because Frank is, he's actually a pretty decent looking guy, isn't he? You know, sort of yeah. chiseled, sort you know, not like uh, Cary Grant or anything, but he has a rough sort of handsomeness about him. And he stops and he picks up this girl whose car's broke down, says, I'm going to take you to my friend's garage and get your car fixed and et cetera, et cetera. But he doesn't. He takes her home. Now, when he gets her home, John says you want to play it's sort of his catchphrase in the film let's play mm. you know um and they go outside she's trying to convince john to to you know get further and further away from the house and eventually she bolts and there's this great scene where uh john is running after the girl and we we get a sort of side-on shot through the trees yeah. and he's pursuing this girl and it sort of flicks between each one and then you just see Frank marching along with a shotgun in his hand. And I, I just think for raw sort of talent where you kind of sit up and take notice and say, you know what, they're not quite there yet, these guys, but there's something there that they've got. And I thought that was shot beautifully, as was when they caught up with the next of the train. I think that sequence in itself was maybe the best sequence in the film. Yeah, there was some decent tension there. And also, of course, you have all these voices over the top. Run away, run away. <laughs> so, you know, and, and you're thinking at the time, of course, that Sue might end up becoming, you know, the, the sort of main character, the one who that drives tries, everybody. Yeah. And in actual fact, she isn't. In fact, if you think about it, really, it's sort of, in a way, echoes Psycho, where you think you've met the main character and then the main character gets bumped off. With the twist at the end, I thought I was Psycho, but you're absolutely right, you know, absolutely right. Yeah, see, sometimes I'm right about stuff. Not often, <laughs> not often, but occasionally. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it, it's a decent setup and decent tension. And there is that feeling from me, 
and, and I'm sure from you, I want this girl to get away. And that's mm. the way I've always... I mean, that's the way I feel about these things. Like I said it before, I think on an older show, I mean, it should be a natural human reaction for most of us anyway, but I hate rape scenes. I hate seeing it depicted in any way. I want to leap into the screen and save that woman and man. Yeah. And or man. But... um but of course I can't and that's so one of the things that's very difficult about watching a lingering rape scene is that it it makes that very difficult but one thing I'll say for the film to sort of go back to to the beginning area there is it does build up nicely with this idea of of at first you think Frank looks like a relatively normal guy Mm. a relatively normal decently handsome guy and then you find out that that both of these brothers really that there's a major screw loose up there somewhere but Frank seems to be the one who if there's if there's one any one of the two of them that is perhaps vaguely normal to some degree is frank because john is not really cognizant of what's going on in the world around him at all they have this purpose when they go out to find young girls to bring back to the basement we're never really told in the film why they have the girls like we're never really we know that of course uh, ginger is raped in the movie but i mean are they do are either of them doing that on a regular basis you know, we're never really told, are we, exactly why they choose to keep them there? No. I, for me, I guess I, I just see them acting out. Um, you know, they they don't have the the ability to have a normal relationship. And they so they're just doing, you know, there's obviously a, a desire within them for female contact. But they don't have the tools to be able to do it properly. I mean, Frank must have done at some point because... The, the girl in the flashback sequence was a beautiful girl, hmm. you know. Um, I do wonder whether Frank is doing it more for John because John certainly wouldn't have the, the people skills to, you know, uh, speak to a girl in, in any normal sense. Um, so I'm not exactly sure either. It, maybe it's that. I think it's probably a combination of that and also wanting to please his mother. Hmm. And, you know, and like we say, I mean, Frank is very much the Norman Bates role isn't he in this yeah i think it's fair to say and john is this sort of very playful guy who doesn't who's also menacing to some degree but doesn't really understand why so i mean look we get of course the death of sue like you say there's great tension there so now we're wondering well who's going to be the main character here so we get our scenes with ginger and we and like like we said i think suzanne lund does a very respectable job in that role you know i thought was was quite good and i'm surprised that she never really went on to do anything else because there's you know, there's a modicum of, of talent there. I thought she conveyed her situation very well. Yeah. So we have to have somebody else who's who's brought in. And, of course, that's the character of Bonnie. Uh, I don't have the actress's name here, but she reminded me of Jamie Lee Curtis. I could see that. Yeah, a little bit that. in the in the face and in the voice a little bit. So she's a, a character, a university student, having an affair with her teacher, Robert, which is, you know... I wouldn't suggest that because it's, you know, that's probably if you ever get caught doing that, that might be a sign as to why you're getting good grades. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit unnatural. Having said that, everybody at the university appears to know that she's having an affair with her teacher. So it's quite a strange situation they have there. Mm. Uh, John's sort of looking. Now, I was reading something on IMDb where someone compared this to the scene in Halloween where Michael Myers is looking through the window. Now, of course, Halloween didn't come out for a number of years after that, but I don't know that I necessarily see it that way or be, as being any kind of imitation uh, on, on uh, John Carpenter's part. But John is looking through the window at Bonnie and Robert having sex. 
He's got his eyes on this woman anyway. He and Frank then manage to capture Bonnie and they sling her into the basement with Ginger and Stevie. Stevie really is, is the girl who's bedridden, really doesn't have much of a role in this other than, you know, just to be sick and look terrified. Mm. Um, so Bonnie comes in and then it sort of, st it kind of starts again. A, a very similar sort of thing happens with, I don't know if, 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 the potential that was there with with Bonnie was ever really fully realised because she sort of does the same thing that Sue does, which is, you know what, I'm going to form a, a plan to escape. I'll do it by trying to play a game with John and then I'll try and escape while I'm I'm doing that game. Really, it falls to her lover, Robert, doesn't it, to, to be the one who kind of untangles all of this. You know, you, you could have, with not much tinkering, had Ginger, you know, step up because Ginger was a brave girl. You mm. know, she'd been through a lot, but she... She kept trying, you know, maybe she didn't quite have that strength that the, the girls that had just been brought in had because she'd been enduring this for longer. But I think with a, a bit of tweaking, you, you could have had her step up to the plate and maybe get free in the same way, you know? Yeah, I'd have liked to have seen that because I think she really did step up. And after the rape happens, I mean, of course, it's it's that's an event that is going to change your life no matter what happens. So mm -hmm. I, I suppose it is understandable that she is just utterly defeated after that. And she yeah. just doesn't, you know, at that point, she's just lost all hope. Uh, but really, it does fall to Robert. Now, I think it, it's probably at this time, as we sort of head towards the end of the movie, it might be time to, to share with you to spoil what the twist is. Uh, except that because we've compared it to Psycho, it's not really a twist that you need that needs much guessing, does it, Tom? <laughs> no, no. It is very much the grindhouse psycho, isn't it? Yeah. Why don't you tell uh, tell everybody what the actual twist is? I think it's Bonnie who discovers it, isn't it? She walks into the bedroom yeah. and uh, there is the sort of decaying remains of uh, John and Frank's mother lying there in bed. Now, we've heard her speaking throughout the movie. At one point, we even saw her standing up and speaking to Frank, I think it was. Yeah. So she's this presence throughout, but you never really see her absolutely clearly. And, you know, unsurprisingly, it turns out she's dead. Now, I say that because early on, I kind of thought, oh, hold on a minute, this is uh, she's going to be dead. But then I said to myself, well, no, she can't be. They wouldn't just do the psycho twist. But then they did the psycho twist. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what do I know? Yeah, I think this movie was very, very influenced by Psycho. And I think it's, you know, and I think Psycho is a much better movie than this. But it also it's different. You know, Psycho is is a lot classier than this. Uh, this is very, very grindhouse-esque. So, of course, it's very rough around the edges. It doesn't have anywhere near that amount of flair or polish to it. Uh, basically, it's Frank. Frank has been doing the voice. <laughs> so Frank has been pretending to be his mother. Um, the times that because Robert comes to the house to try and find you know some information. Well, basically he he knows that that the um, whoever's living at this house has got Bonnie, or at least he suspects it. And uh, he comes to the house and he's greeted by a voice, and it, of course it sounds like I mean that's when I really caught onto it at that point. Once I heard the voice coming from the house, I'm like, yeah, well of course that's Frank, isn't it? You know the mother's been dead all this time. Mm. So that's really what it's all about. It's just the two brothers living there. John seems to believe that his mother is still alive. 
for whatever reason. We're not, that, that's not really made particularly clear why he believes it. You know, I guess he just does. You know, he sees his mother's corpse laying in the bed and just believes that his mother's alive. We yeah. never really see we never really see much in, interactivity when the two boys are in the same room together. Whether Frank is perhaps speaking as his mother and John's listening, and you know, we never really see any of that going on. Uh, but coming towards the end of the movie, Robert eventually comes in. I kept thinking that Robert was going to die. Because right. I just thought, what's going to happen is it's this sort of movie, Robert will die, but the girls will somehow be able to get away, or at least Bonnie will be able to get away. Well, Robert comes in with a gun, and um, he's able to help. Uh, Stevie dies, so the one who's been bedridden, she ends up dying in bed. We ne- we're never really sure what illness she has, but she's just been getting more and more ill as the day as days go by, and she ends up passing away. Ginger and Bonnie... They managed to escape with the help of Robert. I thought it was a really interesting final shot of uh, Robert having been killed. Oh, sorry, no, Robert wasn't killed. He killed himself, didn't he? Frank. Sorry, Frank. Frank. Getting very confused. Frank. Frank. <laughs> Frank. No, Robert's still alive. Robert is the rescuer. He comes yeah. in to rescue Bonnie and Ginger and manages to do so. Frank uh, hangs himself, which suggests to me that at that point there really was a good amount of remorse there on his part. I think so. You know, we see it throughout, you know, even even during the rape, he, he's sort of almost crying, mm. and then afterwards he, he sits and slumps down. There is some conflict with Frank, you know. He does, it seem, try and fight that programming he's had from his mother, but, you know, a, a boy's mother is very influential in his life, and he just can't quite do it. And, you know, whether it's a rip-off of Psycho or not, which it is, I still think it stands quite nicely on its own. You know, I love all the Psycho movies. I, Even when they get really ropey, I, I just love them all. I think it's, you know, the, the effect that a mother can have on a child is such a huge thing. And to see it twisted in this way is quite fascinating to me. And I think this film does a good job of it. So, yeah, you know, you're right, Frank does have a lot of inner turmoil and he, and regret, and I think it just gets too much for him. Yeah, and so the, the final shot of the movie is, you know, Frank's hanging up there, he's dead, he's dead and gone, and John is in the room with his mother's corpse there, and he's just crying, isn't he? He's just howling, because the only people he's ever known in his life are gone. There's nobody right. left. And it's just... And I almost wanted to find out what would happen after that. Like, you know, would they take him away? Well, I would imagine he'd go back to the mental hospital because there's no life for him there. But he just... And that was really the moment that for him personally, I felt quite sorry for him because he's got nobody. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's quite a powerful closing shot. Um, I suppose it differentiates itself from Psycho in that way, you know. Um, So, yeah good ending yeah i mean i'll say i'll say this i I think you liked it a little bit more than me i i i I like it more for the potential it has i think it's it's Mm. a bit rough i think it it is the acting is a bit ropey sometimes but there are good there are good spots of it there are just good spots of bits and pieces potential in there that i think had it had they maybe had a little bit more money and a little bit you know a bit more talent behind it i think it could have been better than what it is i think it's a bit slow you mentioned that mm. when you were doing your overview of it. I think it's too slow for a 90-minute movie. I wanted it to speed up a bit. Yeah. Having said that, I really walked away from it thinking that this is quite a decent little entry 
into exploitation and it's and it's not you know I, I spoke about us going into sleazy territory i mean certainly compared to the, to the one we're going to cover in a moment it's not that sleazy and it's got some sympathetic characters in it but at the same time characters who you hate on one hand and feel sorry for on the other i think it's it's a respectably decent attempt at trying to make something that's very influenced by movies that are better than it but man i i, I yeah i just think it's decent i think compared to what we've had to deal with over the past two episodes this is far better far more interesting than than any of those I think from the sounds of it, you, you're probably right. Maybe I do like it that little bit more than you. You know, you said earlier on it's not a good film, but you there were seeds of stuff there. You were entertained by it. So you, you generally like it anyway from the sounds of it. Mm. I would go so far as to say, and I actually think it is a good film. Maybe not by the standards of uh, actors in better budgeted movies. Maybe not by the standards of the filmmaking of better budgeted movies, but in the terms of how it interested me, you know, and the rawness is something that I loved about it. It's something we both like about, you know, the, the grindhouse fair. Um, so I would go so far as to say, I, I do think it is a good film. I don't think it's a great film, but for the time, the place, the people involved coming together and making something that's, more than the sum of its parts, slightly. It's not like The Evil Dead, where, you know, inexperience in acting and filmmaking come together and make something and just knock it out of the park. It's not that level of good, but for me, it, it's uh, it's good enough. Yeah, do you know what would have made this film even better, Tom? It's if, you know when John is saying to uh, the girls, do you want to play a game? Mm. If it turned out that this was actually the origin story of Jigsaw from the Saw movie, <laughs> because his name was John as well, wasn't it? Yeah, um, you might be onto something there. Uh, that's right. You see, that's why you need to listen to this show, folks, because no one else will go, no one else will investigate this deeply into things to give you the information that you need. That's right. And if we can't find it, we'll just make it up. Absolutely. See, this is why I work with this man because he understands me. Uh, no, look. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Who, who really sets the criteria for what's a good movie and what isn't? At the Absolutely. end of the day, if you enjoyed it enough to consider it a good movie, that's all that matters, really. You know, like mm. I said, I think it's a very decent attempt. I think it's, you know, I, I but I, I would personally say, I mean, I've seen this movie twice as well because, like yourself, I watched it ahead of our earlier recording date before we had to shift it, and uh, watching it again. I didn't mind watching it again. Uh, the first time I saw it, I, I thought, well, I wouldn't really watch it again, but I, I did, and I didn't, I didn't mind it. I think it's one of the better. It's trying to do something, and mm. God, it's nice to watch a movie for a while, you know, because we haven't in a while on this show watched a movie that's trying to attempt something instead of something like Zombie Oasis that's doing nothing, attempting nothing. Yeah. except looking at itself and being proud of itself for doing nothing. So, you know, on all those different levels and all the little bits of, of, of uh, potential it has in there, I thought it was a, a, a respectable watch and, and good on them, good on them for trying, you know. For 50 yeah. grand, what they managed to, to... You can imagine if they'd had a little bit more money and been able to, to you know, do a, a, a maybe a more quality job of putting everything down, I think it would have been a classic. I don't think it's a classic but I do think it's it's one of the uh, the better movies we've seen in recent times on this show. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Right, Tom, let me give you some trivia on this movie and then we will move on to our second film on the show. This was Don Jones' directorial debut. 
He would go on to direct another five movies. This is interesting, the most notable of which, for us and our audience, is The Forest, a cheesy slasher from 1982 that is often compared to Don't Go in the Woods, which was released a year earlier. Have you seen that one? I haven't made no. Was that on the nasties list? Or am I thinking of something else? I don't know. I don't think so. I think Don't Go in the Woods might have been. Right, but okay. I, I, but, you know, again, Chris Brown might be listening to this and having a heart attack if I got that wrong. <laughs> uh, but I have seen Don't Go in the Woods. I don't know if I've seen The Forest. I think they're quite similar to each other. Um, but it's interesting. This guy would sort of go on to, you know, make a cheesy slasher. Now, let me also tell you that Gary Kent, who plays the older brother, Frank, uh, the Norman Bates character, if you like, was perhaps the only actor involved in the production to have a respectably decent career. He continued to appear in productions throughout the decades to follow and also directed several independent films of his own. He also worked as a stunt coordinator on many film projects, including Bubba Hotep the Don Coscarelli film that starred Bruce Campbell as Elvis, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is uh, one of those cult films that I have a, b- a bit of fondness for. So, yeah, so you can say this film, you know, very. Uh, we didn't say it while we were reviewing it, but there are similarities to, uh, of course, Psycho, we said Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Mother's Day, uh, which is a film that was remade quite recently. There are, there are definitely similarities to all of that. Um, the movie is quite difficult to find. If you want a physical copy, Code Red re-released it on DVD in America some years ago under the title Girls in Chains. Uh, This release is now out of print and hard to track down. There are copies floating around the internet of variable quality. Perhaps you might want to look on YouTube, folks. You may find yourself a copy there. Uh, I have to say, Tom, I prefer the title Abducted. I think calling it schoolgirls in chains according to the director on a commentary this is i gleaned this information from imdb was was never really happy that it was titled schoolgirls in chains it was done just to cash in on the market of sort of raunchy exploitation films that were released at that time i think abducted is a better title schoolgirls in chains really does make it sound sleazy doesn't it it does it does it's uh, totally well pretty much mis- misrepresenting the film i think abducted is much better Yeah, I think so. And I think it deserves better than that. That's right. So that is Abducted, folks. Uh, We hope you enjoyed hearing about that. Now, Tom Elliott, it's time for you to take over and tell us about a little film called Hell Prison. Mm, Okay, I think things are starting to get a bit sleazier now. Hell Prison, also known as Escape from Hell, released in 1980 directed by Eduardo Malagia, Malagia mm-hmm. as Edward G. Muller. Okay, written by Sergio Chiusi. Oh, my God, I'm making <laughs> I, such a meal of this stuff. I love get, giving Tom all the complicated <laughs> names to read. Uh, Roberto Estevez, Anthony La Pena, uh, did the English dialogue, and Eduardo Malagia, Malagia. Oh, he was the director as well. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, Hell Prison follows a large group of female prisoners as they toil away day in, day out, working as hard as possible and for very little in the way of food or drink under the leadership of their cruel and sadistic overseers. They spend their days digging and soaring, their nights are spent in the jail, wishing they could escape. The guards take advantage of the girls, picking whichever one takes their fancy and raping them on the spot. Rape, torture and starvation are all these prisoners have to look forward to. A cruel new warden joins the group, setting even stricter rules and tougher, more torturous punishments. It 
seems that almost everyone is against the girls except for one member of the staff, the alcoholic doctor, who disapproves of the cruelty his fellow staff inflict on the prisoners but seems powerless to stop them due to his addiction. He helps the girls by treating their wounds after the lashings they've received and they come to find him a kind presence. Tiring of their constant ill-treatment, the girls form a plan to escape and they need the doctor's help. He finally comes on board and gives them a bottle of liquid that will make them sick as soon as they've ingested it. The bottle is passed around to all of the prisoners and one by one they fall violently ill. The idea is to play on the new warden's great fear of infections and believing the forced illness to be a plague, he grants them permission to leave the prison temporarily. Seeing this as their one chance to escape, the doctor kills the evil warden and he and the girls set off. However, the prison guards find out that all of these events are a ruse for an escape and they race off in hot pursuit, leaving the doctor and the girls in a deadly game of cat and mouse as they fight for their freedom. You see, kid, I brought you another friend for your cell. He's worse than all the rest of you. Fucking whores, get in there. When did you get here? Around an hour ago with the new warden. He's a heartless man. Listen, I'm the leader in this cell, and if you do as I tell you, things won't be too bad for you here. Won't you tell me your name? Vivienne. The one you're under is your bunk. What's your sentence? Ten years. And of course you're innocent. No. Well, an honest girl. You gotta learn not to think of your past. It's no good. This is your new life and you better get used to it, Vivienne. Just so you know who your roommates are. Mary, six years for illegal prostitution. Zaira, 20 years for unpremeditated murder. And I got life for killing my girlfriend. We must all get familiar with one another. We're going to live together in this damn prison for a great many years. We all have to give and be amiable so we could love each other, especially when they leave us alone in this cell. That's enough. Zaira, who's the boss in this cell? You are, Katie. Then you'll do as I order you to do. Hey. Don't you ever listen to her, because I'm the boss here and you obey only me. You do understand, don't you? Don't touch me! There's nothing that I want that I don't get sooner or later, Vivian. Let go of me! So, Chris, hell prison. What do you think? Fuck me, Tom. This is sleazy as shit. <laughs> I mean, this has got to be one of the sleaziest exploitation films I've seen in a long time. It, you know, our erotic show that we did a couple of episodes back, I mean, this would have fit better there, wouldn't it? Definitely. Really, it is rubbish, but like, <laughs> sort of <laughs> couldn't take my eyes off the screen because there's just so much happening here. I mean, for starters, it, it, it is, it's one of the worst women in prison movies I've seen. I've seen quite a few of these. I think it's one of the worst ones because it, it, it doesn't have any it doesn't have a single if you like a driving force of the main character as such um, I think it needed that I think you need one character that you can really care for they tried to do a sort of thing where they have a bunch of different characters I think they're all fairly unlikable the The problem is that well I was going to say hang on 
the thing is that even though they're unlikable the people who are looking after them are, are even worse and so you get you watch a film in which nobody is likable at all apart from perhaps the alcoholic doctor i think that actor spends half of the movie looking like he couldn't give a fuck mm. uh, and then sort of wakes up and and you know has a little bit more about him uh, it would be look we can't talk about this without talking about the the sex scenes that are in it because i mean this is near this is about as close to hardcore porn as I've seen in an exploitation movie. It, it's not quite hardcore porn, but you can tell that there that that this is happening. That the mm. the sexual activities that that are going on are actually happening. They're not being simulated. Uh, and it's oh dear, it's difficult to to say for sure. It it is. I don't think it's a good film at all. I think it it is. It spends far too much time saying nothing um but you do have and i guess it's just the fact that we you know we're caring people that you do care about these girls to some degree and you want them to to be away from these horrible torturous people who are looking after them but i think it's 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 quite blustery but it's not it's not really saying anything at the same time and i think some of the scenes that are in there i mean that you know we talk about frank raping ginger in abducted and he has some remorse in this the, the prison guards there are two guys in here who just pick a girl that they want and force themselves upon her uh they have no remorse whatsoever you've got a villainous warden who would would suit a bond movie very well because there's just nothing um you know nothing redeemable about him whatsoever it's a film of i think it's a film where there's a i dislike almost everybody and yet i'm conflicted because i sort of want them to get away um i just think it's a bit rough really and i don't and i think it's 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 pure exploitation in its purest and sleaziest form um i just think this one <laughs> it might have been a little bit too sleazy for me Wow, I never thought I'd hear you say that. Mm. It's a funny old film, this. Um, I'm quite conflicted on it, to be honest. Um, it's it's a strange genre, the, the women in prison films as well. You know, I'm, I've seen a few in my time. You know, the, I guess the most recent one is going to be Bear Behind Bars. Mm-hmm. And in comparison to that, I think this is better but you know, there's a list of tropes that these movies have. You you know, sadistic wardens check. You know, uh, the girls, most if not all, lesbian. You know, check. Uh-huh. There's the girl who gets raped by the guards. Check. There's another girl who willingly, you know, prostitutes herself to the guards to get stuff. You know, that's there as well. All these tropes of the women in prison films are here, you know, present and correct kind of thing. I think, in you know, just to touch on Bear Behind Bars for a second, um, you know, you mentioned way back in episode one, you know, those cinemas that guys used to go to and whack Mr. Happy out and, <laughs> you know, yeah. have a bit of fun. Well, Bear Behind Bars seems to have been designed exclusively to do that because even if it wasn't required you know, if there hadn't been a boob or a bum or whatever else on screen, within 30 seconds, someone's boob would just fall out, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was almost as if to say, 
If you want to come in and see this movie for three minutes, we'll make sure there's something for you to finish off with in those three minutes, and then you can go. You know, and this movie isn't quite as bad as that, but it's getting there. I it's don't getting know. There. Yeah, I don't know, Tom. I think it. I think it is. I think it is doing that. Have I, you seen Bear Behind Bars though? I don't know. I don't <laughs> think so. But I don't. I've seen a bunch of them, and I've seen some really rubbish ones. But yeah. I, and I've seen some good ones, and I, I so I don't know if I've seen Bear Behind Bars, but based on what you describe, I think this is doing that as well. I think all the sex scenes in here, the rape scenes, they're all designed to titillate. I think. Yeah, and I think that's the big difference between this and the last film. I never got the feeling that the the scenes in the last film were there to for us to get our rocks off on mm. this one they definitely are you know so you're right it's just probably a bit more frequent in bear behind bars but yeah it's here if you want to come in and whack mr happy out and you know we've got something for you and that's in this film absolutely yeah and i, I will say though that it it is at least it does try a little bit to have that that grimy dirty nasty look to it because all these girls look filthy yeah and sweaty and you can tell that they all stink. <laughs> and <laughs> so I give it that credit. It's, it, it does, it gives you, the, you know, the title Hell Prison, I think, is very appropriate because it it does look hellish. It does. And it in does. a way, I feel like the sex scenes take away from that. I think if you hadn't had those in there, I think it would have been, I mean, it needs tightening and you, I think you really need a central character. If they developed these girls, you focus on really a, a sort of small group within the girls. I think if they develop those, flesh those those characters out a little bit more, I think it could have been a very respectable, you know, you could have a little bit of sleaze in there. Of course, it was the era for that. But I think the sex scenes take away from that completely. I mean, I'll give you an example of... Of, there's a brilliant series of, of women in prison films starring Miko Kaji, who you'll know from um, Lady Snowblood and Blind Woman's Curse. Uh, what else? Um, Yakuza Graveyard, Battles Without Honor and Humanity, films like that. Uh, Stray Cat Rock, you know, that, that sort of stuff. Um, called Female Convict 701 Scorpion. And there mm. were four films that were made in, in that series. And I actually covered them all on Gore Boy Radio way back in the day when I was younger and stupider. Mm. and those are really good, and they've got some sleazy elements in there, but they never forget to tell a story, and they never forget to show us this main character played by Miko Kajin. You want her to succeed. You want her to get out of the prison system. I think that's what this is lacking. Is it, it, I, I get the feeling, that, like you were describing Bear Behind Bars, you may, you may absolutely be right that that was just made for titillation, but I think this is very much... I think this is similar. They're trying a little bit in... in in certain ways, but I think it just doesn't have enough to hold me to the narrative. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I enjoyed, you know, for about half an hour, I enjoyed just being immersed in this sleazy, grimy, grindhouse exploitation. You know, all the stuff we love is, is there. But then it just started to get a bit boring because, like you said, there's no one to root for. You know, the, the normal way that these films go is, you know, the warden's sadistic, the the guards are you know pretty much as bad occasionally you'll get a, a good one thrown in there who helps the girls out in some way and we have that with the doctor mm -hmm. and then you will have you know the bad inmates and then our hero inmates but there's no hero inmate here you know and so there's no one to pull for and uh, you're absolutely right it needed that to take you through 
and to make you interested because those glorious grindhouse trappings that I love, it only takes you so far. Mm. No, and look, I love them too. Uh, normally, they, normally they don't get quite this hardcore and it wasn't that the, the you know the, the near hardcore sex offended me it, it just took me out of it you know because i sort of thought okay i mean what do you want to do here you, do you want to tell us a story about the incredible hardship these women have to go through and their fight to escape for freedom or do you want to show me sex scenes with uh, and featuring people i don't like anyway <laughs> so there's nothing <laughs> particularly you know sort of passionate and interesting about it unlike say the sex scene in firecracker which was absolutely ludicrous but fun there's nothing yeah. fun about it you know um and i guess you, you would expect that with a with a movie like this no central character to, to cling on to uh, i also found that really i guess you're supposed to root for the doctor but i thought that he just looked bored through half of it i thought he really because he's an alcoholic so of course they're supposed to imply that he's basically you know uh loaded up with alcohol every single day and therefore is ref you know refusing to really even do anything to help Mm. Uh, I also thought sort of towards the end of the movie that they very rather artificially conspired to remove most of the characters from the movie in a very arbitrary sort of way in that we, you know I mean I know we haven't got to that point discussing the plot but I really did think they had quite a large group of women towards the end and they very quickly killed almost all of them off and I yeah. thought that was I thought that was done a little bit like oh shit we've got too many characters at the end why don't we just kill the, almost all of them except for two off I thought that was you know I don't look we're going to talk about something to do with this something to do with this movie um later on that might explain why perhaps there wasn't quite enough effort put into it i think that's the thing there's a lack of effort really it's mixed it's all over the place it's got all those sort of sleazy elements that we expect it pushes one thing too far and it doesn't give me what i want um maniac you could even say is is you know it's got elements of sleaze and everything in it but it's got that central character that person that i root for you could even say another of the films that we love christmas evil again it's it's veering into that exploitation market but it's got somebody that i root for that's what i wanted i wanted somebody to root for i wanted a bit more time spent on these these prisoners and the violence that's involved in that the sexual elements i think take away from it a bit I wasn't so much bothered by the sexual elements, to be honest. They were there, you know. Um, it was... What got me was that there was... It just sort of plods along, and a mm. lot of the time there's no real cause and effect, you know. It's no. funny that there's a character called Zira, or Zaira, mm -hmm. and um, she is... There's two scenes where she's sort of tortured, and one, she's sort of strapped to this log in front of everyone in the in the grounds of the prison and then you don't see what a hardship that is because the next scene she's just strolling around like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, yeah. happy as larry and then there's another one where she's sort of hung up like crucified in a way then the next scene she's like <laughs> yeah yeah and they do refer back to it a bit in the scene where she's rubbing her wrists like oh that was a bit sore wasn't it you know <laughs> you know what i mean but there's just the 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 hardship of being strung up in a in a prison camp, you know, they just do it and then just totally go past it, you know. And it's like a lot of things in this. It's just they don't really go anywhere. Yeah, there's not enough going on, really. I don't think. I mean, it takes a while for the doctor to wake up and finally do something, and then it you know it peps up a bit 
when that happens because the girls are then on the run with the doctor and they're trying to escape from the prison guards the doctor has killed the warden uh, who i thought could have been left for an even worse death than that i would have liked to have seen him really get it at the end uh, but they sort of kills him off and then runs away with the with the girls and the prison guards find the dead warden and they chase they end up chasing them through the forest the rainforest and i think it's so it, then it peps up a little bit there but like i say we then get into a situation where they very quickly kill people off and and i'm talking quickly like in about five minutes before the end of the movie it's like that person's got to die by quicksand or, or I, I think it's quicksand one person one person's got to be shot another person get le gets leeches all over her face so the one of the other prisoners decides to shoot her dead for some reason uh, never really worked that out um, couldn't you just remove the leeches apparently not um and in the end you're left with Zaira and the other one whose name I can't remember and then yeah. one of the prison guards shoots the doctor and he's down and you think well he's probably going to die they decide to pull him onto a raft and the ending shot of the movie is these two young girls they're the only ones left and this doctor on the raft and that's the end of the movie I just thought it was all a bit uneventful really it was and uh, you know the funny thing is that the doctor hatched this plot that he would give the girls this uh this thing that m would make them sick yeah. and then give them the antidote later on. And this was playing on the warden's phobias about germs and disease and that sort of thing. So the warden's like, get them out of here, take them away. Yeah. You know, but then he shoots the warden. If he hadn't shot the warden, they'd have got away scot-free because he was like, take them away, you know? Oh, he didn't shoot, um, he didn't shoot the warden. He um, strangled him. That's right. Yeah. yeah, sorry, he strangled them, but he he killed them. Yeah. And if he'd just left them there, they wouldn't have had a problem. This is what I no don't one would have come after I them. I don't understand it. I don't understand why. Because he would have been far away by the time... Well, they, they they never would have found them. So it doesn't make any sense, does it, why he would kill the warden? That's right. And then you're right, the the end sequence, we don't really know these girls that well. Mm -hmm. Like And like we said, we haven't been rooting for anyone. You know, the... I suppose the standout people are Zaira and the the girl who says she's the uh, the boss of the cell. You know, gorgeous woman, this big statuesque blonde, but yeah. not particularly likable because she she does pretty nasty things herself. So. And says says nasty things. She says some really racist things to Zaira when yeah. they're fighting. Which I, you know, if I was ever going to like the character at all, totally put me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it's just sort of. It's a strange sequence of events that leads up to all of that happening. But when they're actually on the run, there's a you know there's a little bit more going on. I'll say that much for it. But yeah, not really much to, not really much that stands out in this. So, and I get the feeling that they they knew that, which is why they pepper it with these, you know, somewhat you know, I mean, getting near enough to hardcore porn. <laughs> uh, and so I think that's what, and it, it is one of those things, isn't it? When you've got a movie that's not very good, you you pepper it with sex things to try and whip people up into a frenzy, and I think that's what happened here. I think they knew that it wasn't a very good movie. Uh, not helped by a, you know another fact that I'm going to tell you when we go into the trivia, which might again might explain why the quality is not that great. I don't know, Tom. You know, like I said, I wasn't offended by the sex. I just think it took me away from what was already not a very good movie and not very good characters, and um, it, does, it doesn't seem to be. There's, I just don't have much sympathy here. I want to feel more sorry for the girls, but there's not there's no characterization for anybody really. Just to sum up, you know, like I said earlier, I enjoy it for 
its uh, griminess, its sleaze, the grindhouseness of it. But that only goes so far. You know, half an hour, I'm done. There's there's really nothing else uh, left to see. There's there's better examples of the women in prison films. You spoke about them. There's also worse, but you know, it might be worth a look. But I don't think I'd watch it twice. No, I mean, like, I paid fifteen quid for it. <laughs> I don't think I would. I would have spent that uh, willingly. Uh, but I really had no choice. Uh, like I said before, check out the Sasori series, the uh, the female convict 701 Scorpion films with Miko Kaji. Really good, really interesting, really strong central character. Um, pisses all over this one, to be incredibly rude uh, about it. Um, yeah, not, not really digging this at all. Uh, let me give you some trivia on it, though. Uh, because there's some interesting thing, interesting things here that we can discuss. Uh, Hell Prison was shot at the same time as Hotel Paradise, another women in prison film that featured many of the same actors and actresses. Now, this is what I was referring to when I said that it might explain why the quality is so bad. It's another example of um, of a film that was made while the director was making another film at the same time, which is normally not a good idea. Um, this and features mostly the same cast. I don't think the warden's back, but I think almost everybody else is. Uh, the plot is similar, according to IMDb, with a group of female prisoners digging emeralds for an evil tyrant until they're rescued by revolutionaries uh, disguised as soldiers. So that is Hell Prison and Hotel Paradise shot at the same time. So I think mm. that might explain why there's not much focus in this. You know? It'd be interesting to see you. I would be interested just purely for that fact. Well, you just want to whip old Mr. Happy out, don't you? And uh, <laughs> carry on with his, his uh, lovely adventures. Uh, this film was a, was re-released in a re-edited form in 1985 with Linda Blair appearing in a wraparound segment. Uh, this re-edited version is called Savage Island and it mostly consists of footage taken from this film and Hotel Paradise with the Blair segments being rather disconnected from that footage. Basically they took footage from those two movies and they just wrapped some stuff they shot with Linda Blair around it. According to IMDb it's absolutely, the people on there say it's absolutely dreadful. The Linda Blair sequences don't make any sense because of course they, they're not connected to anything that's in either movie. Uh, Linda Blair was in a Women in Prison movie wasn't she? That I can't remember the name of. She was in. It was with Sybil Danning. In, yes. Um, oh, that's going to do me head in that. I actually interviewed Sybil Danning once and spoke about it. So shame on me for not remembering it. But it'll come. It might come to me before the end of the podcast. Yeah. Well, it's. I've seen that movie as well, but I can't remember the name of it either. Uh, but so there's that. Uh, the film's most recognisable star is transgender actress Ajita Wilson, who plays Zaire here. <laughs> she appeared in a number of adult movies through the 70s and 80s and also starred in numerous women in prison and exploitation films. I uh, have to say I didn't hadn't seen her in anything beforehand, uh, but um, she's probably the most, I would say, the most recognisable, the, the strongest character here, if we can say that. She is, yeah. They, they should have beefed her up and made her, you know, the hero, I mm. think, or heroine. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, according to IMDb, that this I don't know about this for sure. It says, uh, you know, Help Prisoners never had an official UK release due to being banned in 1980. Apparently it was banned from cinemas. I, well, I don't quite know how it works, but I would think that to get on the Section 3 list, it would need to, to have been out in some form, even if it was a heavily edited form. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, in the form we watched it, I would say it's, 
it probably would have got on the nasties list, you know. Yeah. Never mind the section three list. Um, so I I don't know quite how that works to be honest. So I'd need to do a bit of digging on that one. We might have to ask our, our old buddy Chris Brown on this one. I've got a feeling that it never had a UK release, other than maybe it was tried for a cinema release and they banned it, and it never had a a, a home release. Right. On video or DVD, because there's no UK release that I can find. Uh, the film can be bought on DVD from Troma Entertainment, who purchased the rights to its release. Of course, Troma make their own movies. They also buy the rights to various things and and uh, distribute them. Um, it can be found on this store for four ninety five, which I wish I'd known because I would have could have paid less for it. <laughs> uh, um, but I didn't have a, I didn't have a multi region player then, but I do now. You can also find it as part of the Women in Prison triple feature DVD release in America, which also includes Women in Cell Block 7 and The Hot Box. Uh, The picture quality on all three films is apparently poor, according to the comments on Amazon from people who bought it, so do bear that in mind. Uh, This release that we've got here, well, for European buyers, uh, there's a DVD from Najuta Films, which you can find on eBay, and this appears to be sourced from the Troma release. I was just going to say that's the release that I've got. Um, I get the feeling that this is was sourced from a VHS. Um, nice. It's got that sort of the, this is the version that you and I watched. I, I've got that feeling, but uh, it's got the trauma intro and everything on it. Mm. It doesn't look like a good DVD transfer anyway. Whatever it was. What I will say is, I really like the poster. Uh, you know, oh. the one of the two girls on it. I think that's a good sort of uh, proper grindhouse cinema poster that I'd quite like to have. Yeah, not bad at all. Yeah, it very much suits its content. Uh, I have to say that, that, that I think Abducted is most definitely the better, the better of the two movies. At the end of our last podcast, when we said what this was going to be, I made a comment that, you know, can someone really like, can a, a modern man really like these films, you know, in the modern world, the films that, especially in the case of Hell Prison, the women are there to titillate. Hmm. They are abused. They are degraded. They are this, that, and the other. And obviously, it treats and portrays women in a, in a certain way. It's they're there for our entertainment, their nakedness, the the way they're treated, and everything. So, can you like a film like this and and you know be a, a forward thinking modern guy? I mean, what do you think? I think you have to look at the quality of the film itself, and and perhaps also. To a certain extent, I think you've got to look at the way the actors and, and actresses were treated. If you, you know, if I happen to have heard about a movie that's got a big reputation, perhaps for for the director treating people very poorly and actually degrading women, that's when I sort of have to step in and say, well, at the end of the day, this is, you know, I, I can't just view that as art because I know that in real life something very horrible has happened to these people. I think in the case of of, of Hell Prison, for example. I think these these women are very much well because I think then you get into the argument about pornography, and then you know how do you feel about pornography and how do you feel about women who then subject themselves to some form of degradation? It's always going to be a tricky subject. I don't think there's a definitive answer to it. The, all mm. I can all I can tell you is that I I I look at it on a, on a film by film basis and I say okay how do I I look at the story of the film I look at how the the girls play into it. I look at how the women are treated throughout the movie and I try to, to form some sort of semblance of, of, of where the plot is going, what the narrative means, what, the, what, the, what is the message of the film at the end of the day. I think perhaps Hell Prison, if you view it that way, suffers because it doesn't really have a message. Yeah. Um, if it did have any message, it would be 
you know, this is something that apparently goes on in a female prison. It's just people treating women very horribly and raping them and women having sex with each other and that's sort of lesbian activity. And and I don't think this is meant to be reflective of, of the way women are actually treated in a female prison at all. I just think it's exploitation. I don't... Mm. I So I can't say that I would excuse this sort of behaviour because I can't, but... Um, you asked the question, can a modern man like a film like this? It depends on what on what the film is like, what the message of the film is, and the quality of it, I think, that determines whether you can like the film. I mean, there are, there are films that I think are, are, are brilliantly done, like Irreversible, for example, but it's got a really nasty rape scene in it that is one of the, one of the most unbelievably torturous things I've had to sit through in my mm. life, but it's a but it's, it's such a great movie. I can't say I would sit and watch it again because I had such a torrid time with it, but it's a great movie. I like the movie and the filmmaking aspect of it. So that's where I come at it. I think for the difference probably is, and it, it's kind of like what you're saying, it, it's a case-by-case basis, depends on which movie. You know, Irreversible, uh, that scene was definitely not there to titillate, whereas here, yeah. everything's here to titillate kind of thing. I think for me, the, w- the way I justify it to myself is it's, you know, I like films where people get murdered. I like films where men get murdered. You know, I like films where women get murdered. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean I take that into my into my everyday life kind of thing. I never get titillated by rape. I find that it's often used as a crutch to disgust the audience. Rob Zombie especially does it. Um, and when I see it, I just think, is this all you've got? Yeah. You know, is this all you've got to try and hurt us? Can't you, you know, use your imagination, your skill as a filmmaker to do that? So, you know, rape is, is never a titillating thing for me. You know, attractive female prisoners having consensual sex in a cell. You know, I'm not adverse to that. Um, so I think, <laughs> I, I think for me is it, it. I don't have an attitude to women in in my day to day life that makes me someone who degrades women or or speaks to them as you know second class citizens or anything like that. But in the context of this movie, it is what it is. It's a product of its time, and you know I do get some enjoyment from it. Um, but it's not my worldview, so I guess that's kind of how I justify it to myself. But, you know, female listeners, tell us what you think. You know, if you want to send us some feedback, we'd love to hear what you think about this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and also I should say that it's not necessarily the worldview of the director or the writer in making the movie. They're telling a story in many cases. It just so happens that Hell Prison, there really isn't much of a story. But there have been you know, several examples. You look at a film like Martyrs, for example, some of the acts that I don't want to spoil, I don't want to spoil martyrs actually, but some of the acts that are committed in that movie are absolutely dreadful. And it is, I mean, you want to talk about a movie that will take you through, through torture in, but, but in such a great way, because it's a great movie. So you see what I'm saying? It's like, it just depends on the story and how it's used and, and what, what elements of the story are used to justify why that's happening, even if it's not a reason that we agree with, which most of the time, most of the time it isn't. Um, it, if it's explained in a way that, that this is this character's motivation for why they do that thing to a woman, it, it's part of the story. So, you know, it, I think that the whole thing with misogyny, which is uh, this is also, you know, where we can come into this. I think that 
I've heard from some people who say, well, look, you know, horror movies in which they only kill women are misogynist. There are so many horror movies, gialli, uh, thrillers. There are so many movies in which women die. There are so many movies in which men die. I can honestly tell you as a horror fan, until I got to, to be an adult, really, and was able to sort of look at things and assess them and see how they would, how they other people might view them. As a horror fan, I never ever sat there, especially as a kid and a teenager, never sat there th thinking, I'm going to be 32 tomorrow, by the way, so, you know, I'm getting older. Um, I, I never sat there and thought, I really enjoy watching women getting murdered. Hmm. I just, for me, it was an equal opportunity thing, you know. Men get murdered, women get murdered, it doesn't really matter. I think what can help with movies like this is maybe having a strong female character in there. And this doesn't, yeah. this doesn't have that, unfortunately. So, like we said, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's you've got to view it on a case by case basis. I think this is leaning towards being perhaps irredeemable with some of the things it does. But you know, there are films like Salo, for example, that are just their experiments in how to torture the viewer. Uh, so it, you know, it just depends, really, Tom. I don't know if we've got a definitive answer for this, but that's the way I feel about it. Cool. That's just sort of throw it out there. Yeah, it's a good discussion to have, isn't it? You know, because we're mm. tackling something, and it's a very it can be a very sensitive subject as well. Like women have, have, there have been some issues. I'm not going to turn this political, but there have been some issues related to women and Gamergate, which is a whole thing that's been going oh, on. Yeah. Where you know, which is just, I mean, I could sit and talk to you about that all day about why I feel women being marginalised is 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 just unbelievable and ridiculous, and you know, we could go on about it forever, but. At the end of the day, you know, we just talk about it a little bit and give our thoughts on it. And, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from you guys out there, women, men alike. Let us know how you feel about misogyny in movies and how and these films, whether it's OK, you feel to like them, even though they might have you know, these elements of, of exploitation against women. OK, so I think we've covered that uh, in some good detail and it would be great to hear from people. And uh, speaking of hearing people, let's have a listen to some feedback. So to begin with, we have a message, a quite an unusual thing, this, uh, a message from John Morrissey. Uh, he DM'd me on Twitter and he says, I've just finished filming a segment called Cam Girl for an anthology called Virus of the Dead. It's been co-written by Christopher Colley, it could be Coley, I think it's Colley, and Tony Newton, with Tony Newton overseeing the whole project. It's his baby. Uh, Tony has had submissions from all over. Now, uh... John, he filmed Cam Girl back in April in Clacton. Uh, he continues with myself in the lead role of Mark. Each segment of Virus of the Dead is approximately eight minutes long and is based around a zombie theme. I know Tony, Chris and I would be enormously grateful for the shout out on the show and anything you and Tom could do to give the project a little more advertising would be appreciated so uh, yeah it's just one of our fans basically reaching out to us to let the listeners know that he's uh, worked on a project that's i guess is coming out pretty soon it may may already be out i'm not sure um mm. you can find it on obviously i, I can't give you the link because it's long and complicated but uh, what we could probably do is maybe put the link on the website uh, yeah, yeah. with the episode i'll give give the link to you after we're done tom and obviously you can go on imdb and just type in virus of the dead and you'll probably find it there and yeah help old john and tony and chris out and um yeah just give a little bit of attention to 
John Morrissey for his uh, segment that he was the lead star in, Cam Girl. And that's uh, part of an anthology called Virus of the Dead. Great stuff. Support our independent filmmakers. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, next one is from a chap called Stephen Pohl. Is it Paul or Pohl? Could be Pohl? Pohl. I think it's Pohl. Yeah. Pohl. Stephen Pohl. Okay. And Stephen writes, very glad to have you back. I've been listening since your first podcast and I really look forward to them. Chris, I'm sure you'll get many responses regarding your discussion on depression. As one who suffers from a major depressive disorder with bipolar, I completely understand how you feel, as I have been down that darkened road too many times. Does it get better? Do the lapses seem to be farther apart? Yes, for both. But consider depression a lifelong case of incurable scurvy and body lice. No matter how much you want to shake it off, it clings like a giant bloodsucker. But smile, things could be worse. Lots of people don't talk about it, but I'm glad you've addressed it. Depression often seems to be the red-headed stepchild of illnesses. Tom, I thoroughly enjoy the balance and straight humour you bring to the show. Thank you. You and Chris are perfect hosts. And I love learning about shitty movies I most likely never see. So long, erotic writer of Frankenstein. <laughs> you know, funnily enough, they're just bringing that out on Blu-ray. We had murder trying to get hold of that movie, and now they're bringing it out. But mind you, we'd have had to pay money for it, wouldn't we? No. Um, as a newer fan, you both come across as reliable experts in the horror genre, so don't ever be afraid to veer up off-topic, especially when reviewing duds. Okay, welcome back, and here's... To future episodes. What a nice email. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I have to say though, Tom, he says here uh, consider depression a lifelong case of incurable scurvy. Does he think I'm a pirate? <laughs> need to suck on a lemon, mate. Why do I need to do that? <laughs> Never mind. That... <laughs> That's how you cure scurvy. Is, is it really? Have you had scurvy? I can suck on something. Anyway, uh, uh, no, thank you very much, uh, Stephen. Seriously, it's been a while since you sent this, actually. it's Obviously, it's taken us a while to get around to uh, recording this. But, um, yeah, I just want to really thank you for that. And I pretty much agree with everything you said, um, apart from scurvy and body lice. Never had either of those. Uh, never had a giant bloodsucker, unless you count one of the ex-girlfriends. <laughs> uh, but smart things could be worse. Lots of people talk about it. Uh, don't talk about it, but I'm glad you addressed it. Yeah, thank you very much, Stephen. I... I uh, didn't want to spend too long about it, too long on it, but it's a constant battle, and we're always fighting. And um, I feel like I've, I've sort of um, the war continues, but I've kind of won the battle recently. So, um, and I'm quite happy. And it's my birthday tomorrow, so you know I'm going to. Uh, we're recording this on the fifteenth of June, so the sixteenth is my birthday, and uh, I feel like I've I've come out of that. Hopefully, you know, you weather the storm, and it will come back again one day, but. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't come back soon because I really want to record more episodes of this instead of, you know, recording one every, every once a year. So you know it would be. Uh, uh, just thank you very much for the email and um, yeah, I agree. Tom is the yin to my yang, and um, I we absolutely never disagree about anything. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, but yeah, and the erotic rights of Frankenstein. Yeah, but sorry we had to put. I I keep apologising to people for some of the shit we have to put them through, and that's definitely one of them. So, mm. sorry about that, dear Stephen. Thank you very much. Okay, so now I've got an email from Robert Malocha. I think it's Malocha. Maloka? We're doing shit with names this We really week. are, aren't we? Can you guys get better names, please? This is too friggin' complicated. <laughs> get a decent name. 
Uh, hi, Chris and Tom. <laughs> After I've insulted him, I'll now read his email. <laughs> hi, Chris and Tom. Interesting films you've put together for the next show, but now I've watched them, they're pretty incomparable. I found Abducted a really interesting film. I really liked the opening sequence with the shot of dolls, but the music really threw me out and I had no idea where the film was going to go from there. A lot of the music seems a very odd choice for the film until you realise that its childish nature is mainly playing to the two brothers' characters who are both clearly very damaged by their mother and stuck in a childlike state. Using that music when some of the victims are attacked made the scenes even more disturbing. Yeah, we didn't really touch on that, did we? But the like for example there's a really sort of weird jazzy number that plays over the rape scene mm-hmm. in that movie between frank and, and ginger yeah some very odd musical choices in that i thought the camera work in abducted was quite impressive too but no wonder as the dop was ron garcia who later worked with david lynch on the twin peaks pilot and fire walk with me that's cool didn't ah, know that. good uh, his tracking shots through the woods and looming angle in and out of the basement were great and added a real menace and although he didn't work on blue velvet the scenes of jeffrey peeping out of the closet are very reminiscent of the brothers spying on their possible victims abducted is obviously influenced by psycho but equally i couldn't help thinking that charles kaufman's mother's day family setup and game playing could have been influenced by this if a bit more insane and less subtle in the end it was quite a melancholy film making you feel sorry for the abused bad guys as well as the victims not at all what I had expected, and I'll look forward to seeing it again in a version when I can actually see something when they're in the basement. Uh, good luck with that, very difficult to find. The same can't be said for Hell Prison, which is pure exploitation. Every bit of plot, he's put that in uh, in quotes, uh, particularly in the first half, was an excuse for a rape scene, sex scene, lesbian sex scene, girl-on-girl fight or shower scene. These are interspersed with a little torture, but not much as it turns out. Some really big moustaches, yes! Some big moustaches in this, Tom. We didn't mention that, did we? But it, on the old moustache count, a sleazy moustaches, there were there were a number in here. It's right up there. We're very impressed by that. Uh, mm. Poor acting and wardrobe malfunctions, where you really can't call their clothes wardrobe. And I thought it was funny that the women were dressed more modestly in some of the posters than the film. Uh, I haven't seen many women in prison films yet. I'm sure there are more to come in the nasties lists. So this uh, might just be what I should expect. Uh, I enjoyed the Italian influence, this being a Spanish-Italian co-production, with a bottle of J&B appearing early on, early on and being drank throughout. I was surprised the Doctor splashed it around so much as it must be in short supply in the middle of the jungle. Although I wasn't a big fan of the film as a whole, I did enjoy the end, once the Doc leads some of the prisoners out of the camp. Once they start dying off, you're back into territory that I enjoy more. What that says for me, I don't know. And I particularly enjoyed the spaghetti western-inspired shootout finale. Hope you enjoy the movies and I look forward to hearing what you think in the next podcast. By the way, I've just listened to your excellent episode on Foxy Brown Naked Fist and of all the interesting opinions you had to offer, the bit that's stuck in my head is what Chris would do with his junk if Tom cut it off. I was laughing out loud listening to this in public and hope never have to see that particular hat. Hat? Oh, of course, it was a hat that we, you were going to sellotape my severed penis to and wear it. Yeah, none of us want to see the hat, Rob. <laughs> nobody, wants, <laughs> nobody wants to see my severed penis, you mean. Uh, cheers, chaps. Keep up the good work, Rob. And that's at Rob's Lib, who I said at the beginning of the show is the one who recommended the multi-region Blu-ray player to me. Uh, yeah, some very interesting... He did quite a bit of research on uh, help. He knows his, his stuff, old Rob. I see his posts on Twitter occasionally. He posted um, a couple of bits about Hell Prison on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. It's a while ago now because of our schedule, but... Um, yeah, he certainly knows his stuff. I think from some of the tweets that he's he's put out there that he's going through all the nasties as well. 
because mm. um, he was you know sort of talking about uh, i think he came to us from chris brown's show the video nasties podcast so i think he's going through through them as well and hey it's a tough old journey rob so we uh you know we we give you good credit on that but uh yeah difficult journey but thanks a lot for writing yeah absolutely absolutely he's uh always worth checking out on twitter as well at rob's lip yeah it's r-o-b-s-l-i-b okay and speaking of chris brown and the video nasties podcast here is a bit of audio feedback from the man himself Take it away, Chris. Hello, chaps, and it's Christopher Brown here. And I'd just like to say thanks very much for kind of prodding me finally to getting around to watching these two films. Um, I knew of uh, Hell Prison, better known as Escape from Hell, uh, because it's on that huge list of trauma films that uh, you, you used to be able to download on YouTube. I'm not sure if they're all still there now, but you watch it, I need to get around to watching that. And uh, also, um, Abducted, mainly because of its uh, other title. Um, which is the incredibly exclusive uh, Schoolgirls in Chains, uh, which is uh, <laughs> unbelievable when you think about it in terms of a title for any film. Um, for me, I mean, the, the, the two of films with obvious very uh, grindhousey, grimy feel to them. Um, let's start off with um, Hell Prison. For me, uh, women in prison films really need a strong character at the centre to kind of drag them through and introduce the world properly. So, you know, the Big Bird Cage with Pam Greer or uh, Lady Snowblood or even the Ilsa films, which although don't really have any a very strong characters apart from Ilsa, she herself is a kind of totem in the middle that make the kind of drags you through the film. Um, for me, uh, Hell Prison didn't really have that, so uh, I, I didn't really appreciate it that much um it's okay these things are fine it's a good it has a good feel and tone to it it has a you know a good nice euro sleaze kind of kind of feel to it but generally you know these kind of films aren't really my thing so uh yeah i didn't particularly jump down on it although it was okay um abducted is a, a better film definitely in my view um uh, it starts off quite arty the first death i quite enjoyed in terms of you know the kind of st- freeze frame of the, of, of the of the girl and then the, the train keeps on moving uh i thought that you know there the, the could be something really special to this and you know the kind of defies it's uh it's incredibly sleazy feel uh but in the end it you know it kind of became progressively more uh soft porn and, and rape-led and uh kind of lost its way a bit but on the other hand, you know, if we're going to take it as a film that fulfills its genre expectations, a film called Schoolgirls in Chains is is never really designed to be anything other than a uh, sleazy fun. And um, you know, we could debate the pros and cons and uh, general uh, acceptability of films. And I'm particularly thinking the sex scene halfway through uh, is. But um, you know, what's the point? What's the point? If we're being honest, I mean, we 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 you know, I've spent a fair amount of my life watching quite sleazy and quite unpleasant horror films, so I don't see why this one should be particularly picked up as the one to beat beat around the head. Um, certainly, its title is fucking unacceptable, frankly. But uh, apart from that, um, it's pretty you know unpleasant, sleazy, but 
standard for the for for you know a woman in, women in captivity film. It probably pushes the boundaries a bit more than most, but you know. Anyway, um, thanks very much. Hope that wasn't too rambly. Um, I enjoyed both films, if that's the right word. So uh, thanks very much for putting them in my direction. Um, it's probably not, not two films I'd revisit, but you know, hence is the nature of a grindhouse sleazy exploitative offering sometimes. Take care. I'll see you soon. Okay, there's our good friend Chris Brown, ever dependable with the feedback, and um, I, I get the feeling he didn't quite enjoy them as much as we. Well, I don't know. What do you think? I think he he he. I don't think he he sort of said that he enjoyed both of the movies, but I think he 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 wasn't particularly fond of Hell Prison, but he did sort of like abducted. Yeah, but it's not really his genre of choice. No, but I think he. I mean, Chris has seen a lot of movies that are, that are like these. I mean, he's been through an incredible slog, really, over the past few years trying to get through the nasty. So he's seen a lot of bad stuff. I would wonder if there's anything on the, the, the official nasties list that is quite as sleazy, quite as explicit as Hell Prison. I'd be very interested to know if there's anything like that. Because you've got stuff like Love Camp on there and, mm. and you know, I can't remember so many titles. But I would wonder because... I'd be I'd be interested to know his thoughts, and it's a shame that he didn't sort of say on the the feedback that he recorded whether he personally would have thought that this Hell Prison would have been a very good fit for the video Nazis list instead of getting sort of shuffled off onto the Section Three list. It'd be very interesting to to hear that. But um, yeah, I don't think he was particularly impressed by Hell Prison. I don't know who would be. No, no, I don't think anyone is really. But uh, no, thanks as ever, Chris and. We mentioned it before, Chris does a monthly screening in Liverpool at uh, the the small cinema. I think it's on Victoria Street. I went to the first one uh, when he when he showed Freaks, and uh, he's also showed um, Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue, which I couldn't get to because I was working. He's doing Plan 9 from Outer Space this month, which would be quite fun, but unfortunately I'm working for that. But when I'm not working, I'm going to try and be there so it's worth supporting a great little fun night yeah fucking go there jerk each other off <laughs> so uh we have some audio from jim moon who's a very impressive individual one mm. of the kings of podcasting in my opinion uh why don't we hear from jim he goes on a good old waffle uh, he did a triple bill tom of these movies and also uh the new adventures of snow white he's a brave 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 man jim take it away Hello, gentlemen. Well then, I've done a foolish thing. I thought it would be a good idea to watch Escape from Hell and Abducted back to back, which is daft enough, but also, just to add to the fun, I also watched The New Adventures of Snow White. Oh dearie, dearie, dearie me. So then let's start with our ahem adult fairy tale. I'm quite familiar with the original tales, and how bizarre and cruel they are compared to the sanitised, disnified versions we're more familiar with. And the concept of having two well-meaning, but maybe a bit dim, heroes to wander in and out of the three different fairy stories and link it all together was quite a good one. And I totally see what you mean when you said that there's a really good concept for a proper take on the Grimm's fairy tales material enclosed in this bit of late 60s smut. Good ideas aside, as it was, 
my main takeaway was a very clear idea of the kind of breasts the director liked. Modest but perky, apparently. Nice. Just as The New Adventures of Snow White turned out to be not nearly as porny and erotic as I might have hoped, likewise, Abducted, which came to me with the reputation of being full of sadistic torture and it was so horrible it was banned completely in the UK, turned out to be a kind of quite thoughtful, if dark, grindhouse drama. This film is something of an oddity. On one hand, it is actually rather tame in terms of what it actually presents on the screen. Yes, there's a good deal of gratuitous topless shots, but little in the way of blood, and the much-vaunted tortures in the cellar turn out to be, well, games of doctors and nurses. However, at the same time, despite it not being graphic, it was also somehow more unpleasant because of it. I think mainly because in the years since this film came out, we have had several high-profile cases of maniacs who did exactly this. And hence, while the movie never went graphic or into really, truly unpleasant territory, you were always worried that it might take that turn. In many ways, I can see what a lot of reviewers have remarked on, that, that this is, in many ways, precursor to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Both have a similar, almost documentary feel to them. And, like Tobe Hooper's classic, despite the lurid titles, there's actually very little in the way of graphic unpleasantness. Yet, at the same time, both films are far from a pleasant viewing experience. Plot-wise, of course, as I'm sure you've said, this is just a riff on Psycho, which I guessed fairly early on. And for me, that was the real demerit to this film even more than the jazz-noodling score. I think with a different and more original backstory to the brothers' derangement, this film would probably be a little more highly regarded. Finally then, on to Escape from Hell, which managed to be both more horrific and more pornographic than the last two films put together. Now, I know full well that a women-in-prison film is going to feature boobage, whipping... A lot of sweating, and probably some lesbian action too. However, I didn't quite expect it to be quite this explicit. I mean, really, this was very, very, very naughty. I know it's quite tame to the kind of filth I'm reliably told you can find on the internet. However, it was still quite a surprise to see something this graphic in standard exploitation fare. I mean, in all honesty, this was more pornographic than many 70s and 80s British blue movies that me and my mates, as foolish young men, hide out of the local video store in the late 80s. Sadly, however, the plot was somewhat lacking. While there was good potential, with the hygiene-obsessed warden and the drunken, good-looking doctor, at the same time, the film never really went anywhere. And in true porno fashion, what plot there was was just a staple together the various naughty scenes. However, like the other two films, I'm glad I've seen this admittedly somewhat low-rent cinematic curio now. And actually, that ties together all three films as well. For while all of them aren't good movies, or in two cases, conventional movies at all, at the same time, I think it's important for lovers of cinema to go into these murky corners and see these kind of films. 
As you gentlemen remarked in the previous episode, there's far too much throwing toys from prams in film criticism so-called on the internet. People are very, very ready to declare a film the worst thing ever, just for what in my book are some minor infractions. And my reaction tends to be, Jesus, you people need to get out a bit more, cinematically speaking. As the great literary outlaw Mr. William Burroughs once said, you have to have been in hell to see heaven. And in my book, I say, you have to have seen the likes of, say, Three Dev Adam before you can really appreciate what a really shitty movie is. And hence these three films, while none of them are good, and in fact, by most cinematic metrics, are pretty awful, I did enjoy the experience of watching them, even though a lot of the time I wasn't actually enjoying the movies themselves, if that makes any kind of sense. So then, here's to further broadening cinematic horizons, here's to further weird and strange films, and here's to continuing this voyage in the company of your good selves. Okay, so Jim calls back a bit there to Snow White. You know, if anyone's going to know his Grimm's fairy tales, it's going to be Jim. If you've ever listened to his podcast, Hypnagoria, you know, weird fiction and and that sort of stuff. Jim is a is a authority on that kind of thing. So interesting to get his thoughts on that one, even if he didn't think much of it. But neither did we. I think we were sort of said there was potential there, didn't we? And Jim thought the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. I think he he you know, enjoyed Abducted. I think Abducted will be one that surprises people. That I mm. I get the, the the impression from the feedback that we've gotten that most people they see the flaws in there as we do. But there's something there for people, I think. I think they yeah. sort of they look at it and expect it to be really, really just unbelievably sleazy and exploitative. And actually what they get out of it is something that, that kind of has, you know, the the, uh, the seed of a good idea in it. Um, yeah, and then, but he did, he also watched The New Adventures of Snow White in addition to these two. And uh, like you say, he knows his stuff and he knows the Grimm's fairy tales. And he sort of agreed with us that there's there's the potential there for a really good version of that of the Grimm's fairy tales but it's just you know it's not done very well unfortunately but uh you're a brave man brave <laughs> brave man jim to go through those three you know i hope I you know. got hope you got something good out it was amazes me in a really great pleasant way that people actually take the time to watch some of these movies because some of them we you know we're doing this because we're trying to get through the whole lot and we will get there but some of you guys, you don't have to do it, and you choose to. So, you know, I, I think that's a, that's a great thing. Thanks a lot, Jim. Lovely to hear from you. Okay. Um, it's my turn, isn't it, the last one? Yep. Last bit of feedback. We've got a lot of feedback this time, haven't we? But it's just because we've been away for so long. From our old friend, Gorblimey, and he says, Hey, guys, when it comes to the different sub-genres of horror, I have to admit, Girls in Chains Abducted isn't really my kind of thing. But I did have a look, and I thought I'd share a few of my thoughts. I wonder if the film's writers had watched Psycho and thought, that worked well, but how can we create something that's twice as scary as Norman Bates? Answer, by having two Norman Bates, as well as the desiccated corpse in a rocking chair, the dodgy mother-son relationship, and the surprise killing of the girl everyone thinks is the main character in the first 15 minutes. Uh, See, you picked up on it too. To crank up the shock value, they seem to have worked through a tick list of taboo subjects, and the audience is presented with voyeurism, rape, incest, cross-dressing, murder, nudity, implied necrophilia, misogyny, humiliation, mental illness, torture, and horrible jazz music. 
But despite all of its lurid promise, I found the film a lot less disturbing than I expected. I think its peculiar score had a lot to do with that. There's an annoying chorus of voices shouting run run over random piano and electronic boing boing noises. Yeah. The classic, the classical flight of the bumblebee, cheerful Bon Tempe organ tunes, Bon Tempe organs, remember them? Mm-hmm. And people badly singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. The rape scene has the bizarre choice of sexy saxophone music played over it. And in what should be a suspenseful scene when someone creeps around the house, the funky up-tempo music just boogies all over any tension. I did like a couple of things though. One of the attacks is filmed while a moving freight train passes in front of the camera and another dramatic scene happens right next to a noisy railway line. And I think both both of those are pretty effective. The POV shots of a person lurking outside the window of a house are creepy too. Using nursery rhymes in the score is an interesting idea. It just isn't done very well. And though I'm not keen on the ending, at least I didn't see it coming. Which one? The, the hanging or the mother? I'm not sure. Hmm. I don't know okay. how you couldn't have seen it coming, really. But... Yeah. Uh, I didn't see the hanging coming, but anyway. Uh, The film is undeniably a sleazy exploitation flick, but I found it quite plodding at times, and it was a slog to get through. To be honest, it's probably not something I'd watch again. Give me Zombie Lake over this any (laughs) time. Jesus. (laughs) Cheers, Gorblimey, at DoubleAgent73 on Twitter. And he does uh, writing on gorblimeyblog.com. Fucking Zombie Lake? You fool. (laughs) You fool, gore blimey. Uh, it seems like he didn't like it that much, really, uh, compared mm. to ourselves. Uh, fucking Zombie Lake is boring as hell, man. I can't understand how anyone would cheat, but mind you, you know, like, I guess I should go back to what I said when we were reviewing Abducted, which is that who says, you know, who set the criteria for what a good movie is to people? You know, yeah, so, yeah. In, you know, in that respect, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't watch Zombie, I'd, I'd watch this again, I wouldn't watch Zombie Lake again, I have to say that. Mm, no, no. And uh, on the subject of Twitter, uh, our old friend Gore, you know, and don't take this the wrong way, it's all in good fun. Gore made a little comment um, that I don't follow him on Twitter. And I just I just wanted to kind of clear things up. The The thing is, I I barely go on Twitter. Drama, drama. <laughs> but when I do go on, I tend to just read uh, tweets of people I know or a few filmmakers that i follow you know what i mean or websites i kind of use it like an rss feed mm-hmm. and you know i also go on the strange and deadly account and that's where i do follow people who um you know interact with us on the podcast so you know i i, I barely post on twitter but you know i know it was all in, in good fun but just for you go live on air i'm going to follow you on twitter oh but i didn't expect that what a twi- that was a twist that rivals the one in abducted Absolutely, I'm going to hit it now live on air. Hear the click. There we go. Right, and, and uh, on the next on the next episode, of course, you'll do a live recording of you unfollowing uh, Gore Blightman. Well, no, I'm just going to mute him now. To be honest, right? But, you know, as long as I follow him, that'll keep That's him happy. I right? I mute it whenever he starts talking about you know that show that show he listens to. Mm, uh, so that is uh, <laughs> that is uh, Mr. Gore Blimey. I will just say, in case anybody ever wonders this. Because Gore was doing it playfully. In case anyone who wonders it, Tom is incredibly busy. And 
if you ever wonder why he doesn't follow you back, it's not because he doesn't, because he, you know, he, he doesn't like you or anything like that. It's simply that he hasn't got time to sort of pollute his feed with loads and loads of different people. If you want somebody who does follow you back, unless you post absolute nonsense, or you, you, I don't, I will not follow anybody who just retweets things constantly because it drives me up the wall. But I will follow back anybody who follows me. Uh, and if you want to have sort of regular conversations, whatever, you're very welcome to contact me. I really don't mind it. Which Tom and I have different levels of busy in our lives. And it's just sometimes it's very, very difficult for Tom to be able to answer all of those things. So if you have any questions or anything related to the show, I generally recommend you can always just tweet me and I will get back to you and I'll follow you back and all the rest of it, provided you don't speak bollocks. But if you do, <laughs> then I, you know, I don't tolerate, suffer fools gladly. And that just means, you know, if you're posting weird racist stuff or whatever, you know, you're going to be taken away. But, um, but yeah, that's it. So there you go, Gore, you got your follow. All right. There you go. Yeah. All right. Now sh- shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's it. You know, like we said, I don't get on there much and I just kind of read, you know, news sites and stuff, links, that uh, new sites post really, but uh, the strange and deadly feed is there. That's where I'll I'll log on occasionally, and I will talk to people. But it's you know if anyone posts to me, I'll always talk. I'm not like a snob or anything like that. So yeah, and if you if you're wondering, guys, it, Tom and I both control the strange and deadly account, but Tom posts on it more often. Really, we should probably put our initial on the end of it just so we know who's posting on it. But um, mm-hmm. most of the time, it is Tom. If you see me posting something and then I retweet it immediately, then it's usually me. But uh, most of the time, it's Tom. Okay, so it's time for us to get out of here. Before we do that, of course, you heard all of that feedback. Do you want to be among those voices? Yes, you bloody well do. In order to achieve this, you want to... This is just a very long a long way around of saying, here's how you can email us. Uh, you can email us at feedback at strangeanddeadly.com with any feedback you have related to the show. You can talk about the films we're discussing on that particular episode. You can talk about films we've discussed in the past. You can talk about anything you want. Uh, you can also tweet the Strange and Deadly Twitter account. We now accept tweets and nobody's really biting on that, have to be said. But hey, you can do it anyway. You want to tweet something to read on the show. It is uh, twitter.com forward slash strange deadly. No and in there, just strange deadly. You can tweet me at the gore boy. And where can they find you, Tom? Uh, at Grindhouse Tom. Mm-hmm. And I won't follow you back. Yeah, <laughs> Tom won't follow you back or really care about your existence. Uh, there's also gentlemansgrindhouserecords.com. You can go there. You can see all of our podcasts there, all the little bits and pieces we've got going on. There are all sorts of different things there. Of course, you can also listen to my old show, uh, Gore Boy Radio, Golden Oldies, shows I recorded many years ago. How many are left of those now, Tom? Mm, only a couple, I think, maybe two or three. Oh, there you go. The nightmare will be over soon. <laughs> And that's about it, really, isn't it, folks? I don't think there's anything else except... Oh, wait, of course. We have to talk about what's going to be on the next episode, which we'll probably record around Christmas. Yes, we, uh, we're departing from horror again, which is always good, these little uh, journeys we take. And we've got a gangster double bill, and we've got a gangster double bill with films from each side of the pond from America. There is a movie called um, Massacre Mafia Style, now, that should be quite easy to get hold of because it's just had a really nice Blu-ray release from Grindhouse releasing. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, you know, quite easy to get hold of these days. Now, the British film is called GBH. Now, there's a few movies in England called GBH. This one stars a gentleman called Cliff Twemlow. 
Now, I think it's possibly the most obscure uh, movie in terms of getting hold of it that we've ever had on the show. Mm. Um, It's never had a DVD release as far as I know, so it definitely hasn't had a Blu-ray release. It probably got a VHS release back in the day, but it's just not about now... It is on YouTube, and, you know, on The Strange and Deadly Show, we don't advocate piracy, but mm-hmm. I will post a link to it on YouTube, on the, on Twitter, and on the, stra- uh, sorry, the Gentleman's Grindhouse Records Facebook page. So, if you want to see it, it's there. You know, normally we wouldn't do that, but in this case, it's just so super obscure that, you know, we want people to play along and... I don't think anyone's in any rush to release this one, so we'll post a link out there so you can see it. Yeah, and we don't advocate privacy, but having said that, if some of these films are too difficult to get hold of, you know, what can you do? If you can find it online, then find it, you know? Hmm. Uh, most of the time, we're not going to directly link you to where the movie is, but in this case, very difficult to find. And Massacre Mafia style is also known as The Executioner, which is the title that we're going to be covering it under. I guess that's the UK title, but the uh, hmm. the title you'll know it under now, yeah massacre mafia style so that's it folks that is the end of this show our long-awaited return and i think we'll be back in another fortnight tom again if there are any delays or anything we will let you know of course you can go to the twitter page twitter.com forward slash strange deadly if there are any delays but i think we'll, we'll hopefully be able to be consistent now um so you should expect us in another fortnight covering gangster movies here on the strange and deadly show i've been chris clayton and i'm tom Elliott. and we thank you very much for listening i by the time you listen to this in fact i'm going to be 32 you fuckers <laughs> so i'm going to be old and crusty <laughs> uh, see you soon folks bye for now bye twist late in the game will change everything.